0: dramatically increased physical fitness, a decrease in the usage of drugs and alcohol, marked reductions in anxiety and depression, increased self-esteem, structure and accountability, moral support, a deep experience of community. These are just a few of the components of the miraculous drive towards health experienced the world over by the majority of adults and children who participate in the art of Brazilian jiu-jitsu. For balance, we will also examine more nuanced issues related to the broader world of martial arts, teachers who abuse their power, dojos that separate into cliques or become internally competitive. Also, the possibility that we may be raising a generation of children taught to be overly passive when it comes to standing up to bullies. Lastly, we will focus on Professor Mike Morel's journey through anxiety, depression, and the loss of a close friend on his path to becoming an instructor of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and ultimately owning his own school. My name is Benjamin Resick, and this is my podcast, Look, Just Tell Me What To Do. Welcome, Professor. Tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: My name is Michael Morell. I'm a Jiu-Jitsu instructor in San Francisco, and I own a Jiu-Jitsu academy in Pacifica, California called the Cave Academy. What does Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu look like, Mike? Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu looks like collegiate wrestling or the grappling portion of the UFC Ultimate Fighting when you guys see it on SportsCenter and stuff. Essentially, it's a system of taking people to the ground and then using joint locks and strangles to make the person submit, make them give up. That's just on the surface, though. Obviously, everybody sees it and they think grapple, rip joints off, choke people to death. But ultimately, the bigger form of Jiu-Jitsu, this goes into a sort of a dichotomy that is big in Judo. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu actually evolved out of Judo. There's two things I always talked about in judo when I was training, and that was big judo and small judo. What is judo? What is judo? Judo is an Olympic sport. It's very similar to jujitsu, but it's mainly just about throwing people. It's a traditional... You're traditional standing form. up. Yeah, standing up, throwing people on the floor with mm-hmm. control. Small judo is what we talk about in the gym. You step here, you use leverage, you use off-balancing, basically mm-hmm. use physics to your advantage to beat somebody who's bigger and stronger than you. Big judo is how you affect your students, how you affect your community, how you use judo to better the lives of other people. I kind of see big jujitsu and small jujitsu in the same way. Small jujitsu is how do you choke this guy when he's got his forearm on your throat and he's mm-hmm. 300 pounds and he's on steroids and you're you're a tiny little person, right? The big jujitsu, that's more, man, I have to say that the academy has taken the place. You guys see this with CrossFit and other forms of exercise that people get really heavily involved in is it's kind of taken the place of church in a lot of senses for people. Whereas, uh, it used to be something that a lot of people went to church all the time as a sense of community. Mm -hmm. You met people there who you got, you know, you exchanged information and got Mm -hmm. jobs through and Mm -hmm. you help people out. And it's this whole community organization thing. And for the people in my gym in particular, we all go out to eat together. We celebrate birthdays with each other. When someone's going through a hard time and they need someone to help them move, we're all out there helping each other. It's really something that has brought us together into a big community of people. It's something that I think is sorely lacking in most Americans' lives.
0: Yeah. I'd say Western civilization uh, as a whole. Uh, We're not very well knit together. I want to get into that in a little bit, but first I want to get into some more, a little bit more description of the sport itself for those who don't know what it looks like. I describe jujitsu as Aikido without manners. (laughs) It's tackling someone, wrapping them up into a ball and putting them in their spot and immobilizing them quickly. I was lucky enough to get into a street fight about two months ago on Mission Street. A large human decided to attack me and clock me in the face. He was on drugs, I think. And I was able to subdue him in a matter of about 45 seconds and no one got hurt. And right on the cement too, and just talked to him and said, hey, what's going on? Are you all right? He's like, I thought you were following me. I'm like, I'm not following you, bro. It's all good. <laughs> Let's stand up and hug it out. And he did, and we went our separate ways. I don't know what was his problem, but it was it was beautiful to they'd not hurt somebody and get attacked uh, at the same time time which is very strange
1: (laughs) for sure if you look at the sport of jiu-jitsu you get points in the actual competition based Mm -hmm. off of certain positions and certain actions that you take if you pay attention to the places that you get points neon belly full mount Mm -hmm. back control Mm -hmm. i know not everybody's following this but those positions are awarded higher points based off of how much you could hurt somebody striking them if i take you to the ground That's great because now once you're on the floor, you can't do big, giant, explosive movements. You can't throw a big right hand at me. You can't Mm -hmm. jump and knee me in the face. Mm -hmm. None of that stuff is possible once you're on your back. Now, if I can get past your legs, I can go into a side control position Mm -hmm. or a knee on belly or full mount. Mm -hmm. In each one of those positions, my ability to strike you and hurt you from that position is rewarded with more and more points. But in jiu-jitsu, there are no strikes. So essentially what we're doing is we're practicing over and over how to take down, subdue, and put people in disadvantaged positions for them Mm -hmm. where they can't hurt you, and you could definitely hurt them, but you're not. A psychological aspect, um, striking elicits this ridiculous response in people where people just go into a frenzy like chimps just going "Ah, ah, ah," like getting really into it Mm -hmm. and that turns into some pretty crazy situations Mm -hmm. and you see that in the ufc if you see people throwing punches Mm -hmm. the whole crowd goes crazy right you see someone take someone down and hold them on the floor and not do anything people get pretty complacent i haven't had to use my jujitsu too much as an adult because Mm -hmm. i do my best to stay out of situations
0: congratulations
1: one altercation that i had i was actually Uh, in the Philippines. I was on an island with maybe four police officers and no hospital, trying to have a good time and everyone's had a little bit too much to drink. Somebody had way too much to drink and he got an altercation with a girl. I was pretty drunk too. The story that was told to me was that he was punching her in the face and horrible stuff. And so I was in like, defend this person mode. My first response was to go into jujitsu. He came forward to charge at the girl and I took him down. I went for a wrestling takedown, single leg to double leg, put him on his back. I'm holding him down. The whole crowd is calm. They're just watching. Everything's cool.
0: Oh, I see. Interesting. Then
1: he started scratching my eyes. That's when the the alcohol and the anger started kicking in a little bit, thinking about him hitting a, hitting a woman, which mm-hmm. really bugs me. Yeah. I reared back and I hit him with my elbow once mm-hmm. in the face. And immediately after that, I ended up having to try to save him because the second that I hit him, the whole crowd around us wanted to hit him too. Fascinating. Now I'm helping this guy up and trying to keep him from getting stomped. That's fascinating.
0: That's like the big judo thing because it's like jujitsu is for the mental health of the world and the community got disrupted because you left your jujitsu and went into something
1: else. That's a great story. How did you find jujitsu? Glad you asked because I've been waiting for a free counseling session for a long time. to get into my childhood issues. <laughs> oh, <dear> uh, shit! <laughs> <laughs> well, it starts with my father. Oh, uh, my father left when what I was a year and a half year, a year and a half old. What an asshole! <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. I grew up in uh, Daly City, Pacifica, San Francisco, kind of all over this small patch of the Bay Area. My sister was she had considerable mental health issues with those mental health issues, my mom didn't know how to deal with them in a great way. At the same time, my father was not in the picture. So it was my older sister going through really crazy episodes with bipolar disorder and, Mm -hmm. and uh, severe depression and Mm -hmm. uh, all sorts of fun stuff. I was kind of the punching bag for that. Oh yeah. So I kind of grew up in an environment where every day I would be afraid of what mood people would be in and Uh if they're in a bad mood it could turn into everything from like just getting beat up to people threatening to kill your pets and horrible stuff jesus that mentality of just trying to play the, the neutral party, like trying not to get involved in stuff or trying to mediate things, carried on into going to school. And when I go to school, there would be people there who wanted to bully me because I was a very easy target. At home, I was taught, don't hit girls. So I'm not fighting back when my sister is harassing oh, me. Dear. And then I go to school and that whole don't hit girls turned into don't hit anybody, don't stand up for yourself. It became this, um, this intense fear in me. It was a vicious cycle of like, because I'm easy to bully, I get bullied more. Mm -hmm. And the more I get bullied, the easier I get to bully. Jesus. Yeah. So it was a, it was a pretty bad cycle that should have been broken, which I look back now and I go, man, if I had me as a jujitsu instructor at that age, I could have gotten rid of that in like two weeks to a month. I would have been, would have gotten myself over it.
0: Me too. I had similar stuff, uh, not quite that bad. So, you had some wounding early on, and I imagine when you stepped into that gym, how old were you when you found Jiu Jitsu?
1: I first found the Boss Rutan. Ultimate MMA DVDs. Boss Rootin. <laughs> oh, I God. apologize. I think the statute of limitations is up, but uh, they were free on LimeWire. But Boss, if you're ever doing a seminar or something, I'm happy to pay you. Just don't
0: kick me in the liver. <laughs> exactly. That's his, that's his signature move. He just he would wear these knee high boots. I don't know why anyone doesn't wear those anymore. It's so sad. <laughs> they look so awesome. He's just the most intimidating looking man in the, on the planet Earth. And he would kick people in the liver. And there's something that happens when you do that where it puts toxins into your blood and the person it is the, collapses
1: it's almost just pain like have you you felt it? knock someone out getting hit in the liver have just, you
0: have you have experienced that
1: i've been kicked really hard there before but i've never been knocked out with it not to the point where i like couldn't could it, get up but it definitely is a close second to getting hit in the testicles for sure
0: Jeez. so that was his signature move and he would do it in mma and it was just his opponent would there you could see this part of their soul leaving their body
1: <laughs> so I found those DVDs and it spoke to me in a really, really intense way. It was finally something I could nerd out on and mm-hmm. figure out answers to things so that I could stop being afraid. You know, the other the bully kids in school, they had girlfriends. I couldn't get a girlfriend. I had no confidence. They had friends and they had this like tough aura about them. They could like walk through the school and treat mm-hmm. people like garbage. And mm-hmm. I was one of those people, but I never felt confident enough to stand up for myself. Right. When i found those dvds me and my my friends uh matt and matt we used to hang out in my garage and bought some puzzle mats and we would just like double egg each other and hurt each other on the concrete it Owl. was really stupid i think i was about 14 15 years old then i had a sort of an epiphany moment i had moved to uh Nova high school mm-hmm. and it's kind of a jock school And I was going through some pretty severe depression, but I took this um, PE class that was for athletes. It was called Bigger, Faster, Stronger. One day, the wrestlers were all jockeying for position. They were like wrestling around in the room, just seeing what they could do. And Mm -hmm. one of them decided, "Hey, that guy Michael over there, flaky kid with acne, keeps his head down. Hey, maybe I'll challenge him. Maybe I could like get something out of this." So, guy came over to me, and he he was like, "Let's wrestle." And I'm like, "I don't know how to wrestle, but I've watched those Boss Ruten tapes." Mm -hmm. So he just attacked me. He didn't really ask me. He shot in on me and he, he flipped me over real good. He like got my hand between my legs and maybe do a front flip almost. Oof. Basically when he slammed me to the floor, I landed pretty good. Cause I was a skateboarder. I knew mm-hmm. how to fall pretty well. As he approached me to pin me, I threw him into an arm lock based off of what I remembered from the DVDs. Wow. And I'm like pulling on this guy's arm going like, I think he's actually fighting me. And everyone's like, stop, stop, stop. You're breaking his arm. I'm like, oh my God. And it was like that moment. It really clicked for me. I went, oh man, like that was Like the toughest wrestler in the school, the guy who's got everything and he treats me like garbage. I just made him say uncle, essentially. That's amazing. He was on his back, I'm assuming. Uh, I was on my back. Oh, you were on your back? Yeah, he was on top of me. Oh, wow. uh, I just swung my leg around his head and I had his his whole shoulder line controlled between my knees. Wow. I just pulled on his wrist. It was probably horrible technique, but the guy didn't know much. That's
0: amazing. It worked out. So an arm bar is um, basically you're wrapping your whole body around somebody's arm like it's a skinny little teddy bear and you're just wrenching it back and pulling it. And it's like your whole body versus their arm. And usually the body wins.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: So you went and started taking classes and...
1: No. So I dropped out of high school and... It was like my senior year, I dropped out. My mom was depressed and I'd lost her job. And Mm -hmm. I basically just dropped out so I could get a job and help pay the rent and stuff. Mm -hmm. I was about 240 pounds at the time. Mm -hmm. And it was just, you know, eating poorly, not really exercising. When my first girlfriend broke up with me and I went through this period of depression, one day it just clicked and I wanted to get out of it so bad. And I wanted none of the things that had bugged me in the past, none of the stuff that had hurt me in the past. Mm -hmm. I wanted to embrace all of the fears, all of the stuff that I was really scared of and just find some method of getting myself whole essentially. I signed up for Judo and Jiu Jitsu at City College of San Francisco. I was just every day working out, I'd ride my bike to work Mm -hmm. and then I would go to 24 hour fitness for two hours and then I'd go to work, barely Mm -hmm. eat anything, really unhealthy. And then I'd do the same thing after work, two hours in the gym, ride my bike home. And I did it every day ended up losing 60 pounds Jesus. in about three and a half months. Then I got down to 171, 172 before I started judo. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're listening at home, do not try to lose 60 pounds in three and a half months. If you do, fantastic. Unless you you're should... 17. <laughs> Unless you're 17. No, but definitely uh, take your time with it. And every pound is, uh, is yeah. a, another golden star. You know what I'm saying? I took
0: uh, I took 15 years to lose, say, 110 pounds by now.
1: Yeah. And I, I didn't have time for that yeah Yeah. I was like I gotta be somebody now
0: (laughs) (laughs) no no no, nothing against overweight people you're all good but it's tough being the fat guy yeah, I should sure. say that from a personal experience. It is not a party.
1: Jiu-jitsu, the, the way that it affected me was it helped me become the person that I needed when I was a kid. When I was a kid, I needed somebody to believe in me. I needed mm-hmm. somebody to teach me to stand up for myself, to mm-hmm. say no and mean no. I needed somebody to, to do that for me. And jiu-jitsu just became that thing. There's a favorite quote of mine from uh, Brad Blanton, the guy who wrote Radical Honesty. Okay. It's, um, yesterday's truth is today's bullshit. And that's what jiu-jitsu was for me. Every day you can get your ass kicked, people can beat you up and you shake the edge of sketch and you start the next day and it's oh, it just moves on. You can yeah. get if you get your ass kicked a thousand times in a week, but every mm-hmm. day you come back and you're fine. Mm-hmm. You stop worrying about getting your ass kicked so much. What are they gonna do to you that you haven't done to yourself yeah. voluntarily nine hundred to a thousand times this last week? That helped me out a tremendous amount and it sort of built leadership qualities in me. I mm-hmm. got to teach a little bit and mm-hmm. that's how i found out that teaching was my thing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's what i love to do mm-hmm. i love to impart the wisdom but mainly i like to give the the soul the spirit of mm-hmm. what i'm doing mm-hmm. it's not just hey man i can teach you how to do this technical arm bar mm-hmm. that's fantastic but it's what the arm bar itself means the arm bar means when that wrestler in the gym picks a fight with you mm-hmm. you can defend yourself mm-hmm. it means when you see a guy and get drunk at a bar and you know punch a girl in the face and now yeah. you're the only one standing between them and continually punching that girl in the face you can actually say no mm-hmm. tell them to stop mm-hmm. mean it and there's consequences for them if they don't listen to you yeah
0: um not to negate the previous comment about i like the etch sketch analogy it's nice but i do feel that you know there's in, in every warrior really there is a a little boy or girl that's that's hurt and needs protection and that every time that person wins that little boy or girl is getting help you know for sure that and do you feel that viscerally
1: i feel it incredibly viscerally there's there's a really really good analogy that um that i actually heard from jordan peterson and it was about a book called there's no such thing as dragons this book i actually have it at my gym it's a really 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 fun little book it's maybe 20 pages or something Mm -hmm. it's all about a little kid who comes to his mom and says mom here's this dragon And she says, there's no such thing as dragons, don't be silly. Mm -hmm. And then in each page as it moves forward, that dragon gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And no matter what, the mom always says, don't be silly, there's no such thing as dragons. Mm -hmm. And then eventually the dragon's so big that it's like breaking the house apart and running (laughs) down the street with it. Uh And at the end of it, they finally are willing to admit that there's a dragon there Mm -hmm. and the dragon shrinks down to a manageable size. There's a huge lesson in it, which is that whether it's your bills... Or whether it's that bully at school, whether it's uh, wanting to ask a girl out or a boy out and not being able to because you're too afraid. The longer you put that off, leave you put that in the closet and don't look at it mm-hmm. and don't pay attention to that fear that you had, mm-hmm. the bigger and bigger it gets and the more and more it grows.
0: So when you do jiu-jitsu in a way, you're acknowledging your pain.
1: Exactly. And managing it directly. Precisely. It gives you sort of a um, your own controller, like you're playing a video game. It gives you something to, to control the, the fear and yeah. the and the suffering gives you some sort of way to fight back instead of feeling like you're completely helpless. I
0: actually have an opposite experience. I, I do agree, I mean, I did have a hard time at school, you know, fat guy, I teased a lot. But I remember as a kid also, I would um, wrestle with my older brother. I don't know why, but that was one of the few times as a child that I actually felt good. I can't explain it really, I mean, we didn't have the best relationship, but, you know, older brother, younger brother, that type of stuff. But when we wrestled, for some reason, everything worked. <laughs> you know we both laughed it was fun and i felt great i realized about six months ago this is like 14 15 years into jiu that i think i'm reliving that 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 was the one moment of joy in my childhood that didn't involve like food you know because i was a binge eater and i felt really good all the the bullshit of everyday living vanished during those moments you know my family wasn't we didn't get along really as a, as a whole We you know what family does right but in those moments everything felt okay and i didn't realize that until just recently, and I always thought, oh, I was always trying to overcome stuff and address my pain, which is a good thing to do. But there was this added thing of of joy, which I had no clue about, and just <laughs> it just came to me, and I'm like, oh, and that increased my experience of Jiu-Jitsu, I think
1: I see that definitely with the kids that I teach. I try to I try to study. I know you're you're in psychology and everything. A little it's bit. Like, you study like a <laughs> little bit, little bit. We're a little sitting bet. in your office right now. Yeah. But uh, studying like Piaget and the levels of development with kids, when it comes to teaching certain age groups, I base things differently. Mm-hmm. You know, the older kids, they have a little bit of executive function so mm-hmm. we can do a little bit more of a focus class when talking about technique more. But the funnest moment for all the kids who are like the four to six year old group, four to seven, it's just rough and tumble play. First off, they always want to go with you. They'll be scared to go with a kid who's a little bigger than them. But if you're 10 times their size and you're like, let's roll, they love it. One key prerequisite to that is that you have to let them win most of the time. I think they actually had that in rat studies too, where it's it's like the, the rats will rough and tumble play, but if the big one doesn't let the little one win, the little one won't play anymore.
0: But you actually see that when you see even lions like you see the lion kind of the, the older the big
1: lion kind of on its back, and the little lion is kind of like, rawr. Yeah, Isn't that amazing sure. that that goes that deep. And you watch it when you raise a puppy or something too, uh-huh. they need that socialization. If one, you're playing a game. Mm-hmm. it's exercise it's endorphins it's a puzzle it's really fun to solve it's really fun to do yeah but on top of it it's a social bonding thing yeah it's a kind of intimacy with another person because you are constantly making little tiny errors you're learning and you're learning sort of the rules of engagement Like, right? don't grab him by the ear don't yeah. put your finger in his eye I- that kind of thing.
0: I do that with white belts in general. am not just children. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's something child. Like they're the same people. Well, there's something childlike about a white belt regardless of their age. I think a lot of people haven't experienced that level of, oh my God, I can really get my ass beat. This is really, really crazy. Before, and they need to be able to win. And I was rolling with a guy this morning, it was his first day and I was letting him destroy me because he looked like he was having so much fun and it could have been a really bad day if I'd wanted it to be.
1: For sure. <laughs> I, think, I think a quote that I heard from Ryan Hall once was he said that like the average person knows about as much about fighting as they do about ice hockey, just <sighs> to say not very much. Yeah, that is But true. everybody's very confident, man. Yeah. I remember um, the movies that I'd watched growing up. It was all about like, oh, I just knocked this guy out. Look at that right hand or whatever. And then you don't realize that you can't do that. Yeah. Like when you're a kid, yeah. first off, I don't know kids who can really knock other kids out. Like it may happen on occasion, people right. have natural power or something, but for the most part, getting punched in the face by another kid, this is why you want to take jujitsu and stand yeah. up for yourself when you're a kid is because the physical consequences mm-hmm. aren't as dire.
0: What changes do you see in the children who take jujitsu?
1: I have a kid, he was deathly scared to get on the mat. He mm-hmm. came to like 13 practices mm-hmm. and cried every single time. Wouldn't every time I talked to him, he'd just start crying and he you know, put his face in his arms. And then the day that he finally stepped on the mat, he kicked mm-hmm. everyone's butt. That's awesome. He was whooping everybody. He's a tiny kid too. It was some some little switch that went off in him where he he realized he could do it. Mm-hmm. I think in some ways he was afraid that he could do it. And he was afraid of the responsibility of being able to. What was the look on his face? He was thrilled. Was, he, gl- was he glowing? Was he, he bouncing? He's glowing, man. He's still glowing every time <laughs> I see him. There was another kid I had who uh, actually really good friends with him. Who mm-hmm. he's very good but he got real scared at the beginning because a kid wrapped his arm around his neck for a choke once, oh. but didn't choke him. We don't, yeah. we don't allow the kids at that age to do the choke, but okay. one of the kids got confused and he put his arm around there. Uh-huh. And he got real scared and he was too scared to come back to jujitsu. He took maybe three or four months off. Mm-hmm. But in that time, he had remembered some of the verbal stuff that I had taught him, mm-hmm. setting your limits, setting your boundaries with, mm-hmm. with verbal communication and uh, body language. And somebody had tried to bully his little brother. This kid was twice his size. This, mm-hmm. this kid is very small. He just stood up to him and he says, don't touch me. Like get away from me. Don't you even touch my little brother like that. And the guys like, what are you going to do about it and like tried to grab him and he just took the kid down. <laughs> and he's like holding him down and like, you know, you don't want your kids to get in fights, but that's kind of one of those moments that you're super proud of them for being courageous in that moment.
0: I feel like we teach kids to be too nonviolent.
1: Yes, 100%. What is it? Um, you're not moral if you just simply aren't doing bad things yeah it's if you have the cap- the capacity the capability of doing horrible things but you don't do them yeah that's what makes you moral you're not moral if you're just weak right if you just can't do anything about it like you can't just run up and kick somebody and take their money that doesn't make you moral when did our
0: culture become so pacifist i think this is the big judo question like how did that happen
1: School is a big one. We have zero tolerance policy in school, which Mm -hmm. means that it's just as bad for you to stand up for yourself as it is for you to bully someone. I hear
0: it all the time. Kids get suspended and expelled for getting hit because they hit back or
1: well, whatever. I'll tell you, uh, from my experience, when I was a kid, there was a foster home up the street and I know these kids had horrible lives. I know a few of them, like their parents had died in plane crashes. They mm-hmm. had horrible trauma and I don't really blame them for lashing out at somebody else, but they were all African-American kids from the foster home. What what they ended up doing is they get into this cycle where they would, um, they would bully me they'd pick on me. Then they'd beat me up. And then I would get called in the principal's office and the principal would be like, did you call them the N word? And I go, no, why would I do that? I'm I don't even want to be near them. I'm scared of them. Mm-hmm. I really want to like poke the bear that much. But because the school was afraid of getting sued, they would suspend me and it would be even worse because now I'm a little racist too. Who... No. <laughs> I think that there's this feeling that aggression in general mm-hmm. and violence in general mm-hmm. are all the same thing. It's like, we teach people to say no. We teach people about consent. We teach people to set limits. But the real thing about it is it's like, setting limits doesn't mean anything unless there's consequences to somebody trying to violate your limits yeah you could say no to someone over and over but it's like the mom at the uh, at the store who's like billy yeah. stop reaching for the cereal billy stop reaching for the cereal
0: i, I remember when this guy hit me on mission street i'm pretty sure i could have walked away from it but i decided that you know no i, I need to draw the line somewhere i can't just let someone attack me in broad daylight and, and that be okay and since that encounter My mental health has improved markedly because I'm much more centered now. I'm like, oh, that wasn't so bad. And I'm just like, this is cool. As long as someone doesn't have a gun and blow my head off, you know, I'm all right. I've felt better since that moment
1: that goes into something. People want bully proofing for their kids and they wanna be able to stand up in situations. It's almost like they wanna negate fear in their kid, like their kid shouldn't be afraid of things. Yeah. The thing about it is anybody who's competed, especially if you compete in Jiu Jitsu, which Mm -hmm. the competition, the training, it's all a microcosm for the rest of your life. Yeah, sure, you know how to do this. If I told you right now, can you do your times tables up to nine? you're like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I could do my timetables up to time. I'm like, could you do that while I have a gun to your head? And while I'm like pushing you off the side of a building and you're trying to keep your balance? I'm mm-hmm. like, hell no. Pressure situations change everything, right? right? And ultimately the training that I try to give kids is I try to put them in pressure situations, not so that they're less afraid. I actually really want them to be afraid. I want them to be afraid that they're going to look silly and that they're going to lose and that their parents are going to be disappointed and that they're going to feel hurt because they didn't get what they're not who they thought they were. Mm -hmm. Their ego gets pruned, you know, Mm -hmm. but the goal is not to teach them to be afraid. The goal is to teach them to be more courageous Mm -hmm. because you can't make them less afraid. They're going to be afraid. I'm afraid every single time that I go out there to compete. I've competed against UFC fighters and Olympians and all sorts of stuff. And even if I had a match with just like a blue belt or something from another school, I could probably technically destroy. You're still going to have some nerves going into it.
0: You don't know what's going to happen.
1: Yeah. So the question becomes, do you let the nerves work for you or do you let them work against you? And if you haven't been in sort of, a a small microcosm, a a safe place to practice courage, then you generally tend to retreat into fear.
0: A safe place to practice courage. That's a, I'm going to make that the title of the podcast. (laughs) That's seriously amazing. Have you ever seen jujitsu affect somebody adversely?
1: So this digs into something else. Jujitsu is great and I think everybody should practice it. Everybody, all ages, genders, doesn't matter. I think everybody should train jujitsu, but I also think that there are people who are instructors who are doing it for the wrong reason. Oh, okay. If you look at my reasons for being an instructor. Yes, I want to be a good instructor. Yes, I enjoy coaching and I love bringing people to high levels in the sport, you know, having people compete, win medals and all that. But essentially what I've turned jiu-jitsu into is just therapy for me. I'm being for other people who I needed growing up. I'm helping people learn to be more courageous. I'm giving them drills and answers and exercises that they can do to make themselves be able to stand up in situations in competition when you're real afraid, that sort of thing, where they otherwise might cower down and be afraid. However, people innately put too much trust in their Jiu Jitsu instructors just right off the bat because they want to become a black belt. They want to be seen in a positive light. They want those stripes on their belt. They want all that stuff. And so for a lot of instructors, I'm not going to give out a ratio, but there's a lot of instructors out there who their main reason for being an instructor is it gives them social credibility. People do a lot of free stuff for them. Mm -hmm. They get to move up the social dominance hierarchy of being like, I'm above everyone else. That can translate into some pretty bad situations.
0: What kind of situations have you seen?
1: I'm not going to shout out names, but my gym is actually, a lot of the adults came from other schools and uh, we call it sometimes like the Island of Misfit Toys. If you remember that old old Christmas special, it's like the Island of Misfit Toys. I've had students who come in saying that their old instructor would like beat them bloody in class and berate them and yell at them and scream at them. And people are willing to put up with a lot of nonsense from people that they idolize. And I heard Brad talking on that last podcast about some of these people hanging out in Golden Gate Park and things. Yeah. And they have like these sociopaths and narcissists and people like getting them to follow them and listen to their words. And growing up without a dad myself, I fell victim to that a couple times too, where I had one of my first instructors was, I'm not going to diagnose him but he's, he's definitely narcissistic and he might be a sociopath to a large degree. And then another person in my life was the same way. And if you are somebody who hasn't had that leadership role, whether it's motherly or fatherly or whatever, oftentimes you can fall victim to people who, who see that in you. The mm-hmm. same way the kids saw that I was e- easy to bully, mm-hmm. people will see you as somebody like, oh, hmm, I can manipulate this person. I can right. get them to worship me and idolize me.
0: It is strange, the dynamic that happens between teacher and student. It's much like what happens between therapist and patient. There's something about when someone comes to me as a client or a patient. There's it's actually illegal. I can't sleep with a patient within two years of seeing them. And there's reasons for that because you can exploit them because there's a fundamental dynamic in the human psyche between teacher and student or higher and low. I don't quite get it. That is so, it's just endemic to the human race. And I think that when you add the ability to actually hurt somebody and dominate them physically to that dynamic, it becomes even more powerful. And I definitely agree. There's, I'm very careful with like white belts. When I got promoted to black belt, the way I was regarded was uncomfortable.
1: (laughs) You know, you did you resent it as much as I did? No. <laughs> so I felt resentful because the second I got my black belt, people started showing me this respect that was undue. Like, but it was like, last week you didn't respect me. And then someone wrapped a different color piece of cloth around my waist. And yeah. now people are like, oh, professor, good to see you. I'm like, kiss,
0: fuck off with that, dude. I don't want to hear that. And they're not showing you the moves. Like you're not being shown all the things because you're a black belt you don't need to hear that. Because clearly you know how to do all that stuff. Yeah, there's all yeah. sorts
1: of weird little dynamics. There. I
0: noticed. Subtle things like when during the warm up, you could cut your way in line for certain things and you wouldn't even notice that you were cutting in front of people because people just make way for you. Yeah. They don't even, or even if you're running around in a circle, they'll run slower than you because they don't want to pass you. Or even when. When I'm like getting dressed or I'm leaving the gym, and it might just be common courtesy, maybe, but I feel a difference. The body's kind of part for you. And I'm not talking about, oh, I'm this awesome dude. There's something, black belts are treated like fucking royalty, and it's strange.
1: It's definitely strange. I just, I have to caution everybody. It's like, if you're not training jujitsu, I think it's a really good idea for you, but make sure that you choose the right place, get the right vibes, trust your gut, because there are certain people who like that fame. They like that people believing everything they say. I always tell my students, dude, this is the way I'm gonna tell you to do it. If you're a white belt, you should listen. But the goal here, you mind if I get even more philosophical? Please. Nietzsche in uh, Thus Spoke Zarathustra. Okay. Yeah, this analogy of the three metamorphoses of the soul.
0: This is why Mike is on my podcast.
1: (laughs) Go for it. The first metamorphosis of the soul is the camel and the camel's job is to take a giant load onto its back and then go on a long journey across the desert right okay so that to me is like the white belt blue belt territory you start and your job is just taking information Mm -hmm. stop oh professor what if i do it this way what if i do it look just taking the information study it to death listen to your instructor get it done right then the second metamorphosis is a lion and -hmm. the lion's only job is to fight a dragon And the dragon is big, giant, golden dragon. And on every scale, it says, thou shalt. And your job as the lion is to slay that dragon. Mm -hmm. And that's like purple belt, brown belt territory this is the way the belts work by the way white blue purple Purple, brown brown. black now purple is like your first advanced rank and then you have brown which is like a much higher advanced rank of course and then finally your black belt now black belt of course once you've slain this dragon of thou shalt, you have to do jiu-jitsu this way here's the only way to pass here's you know your basics right once you've specialized in what your body type and your age and your talent and your physicality now we have a game that is uniquely yours like my jiu-jitsu game is not the same as ben's Ben's ben is very different from mine mine is very different from his i'm flexible put my leg behind my head probably not the best idea for everybody right mm-hmm. Once you get the black belt that's the third metamorphosis of the soul which is the infant so you go from a camel to a lion to an infant yeah you say why an infant because the infant is the being that is most capable of seeing the world anew. And I'll tell you, you probably experienced this. You get the black belt, everyone goes, Wow, you know so much. And you go, Holy crap, I don't know anything. I don't know shit. <laughs> I just learned enough to know that I don't know shit. Yeah, it's like,
0: that's what a bla- I'm a black belt. And I for that, are they kidding? This is a mistake. This is
1: all wrong. Yes. And I think that some people take that lesson mm-hmm. and they run with it. Like yeah. for me, when people are like, Oh, professor, I'm like, just Mike is fine. You can call me Mike yeah because I look some of these people who will give me way too much respect I'm like yeah. dude you have four beautiful children you're a great father you run like a construction business where you're one of the most successful people in the Bay Area and you've done this right and someone else is like oh you're a therapist you've helped tens of thousands of people with yeah. their issues and all this sort of stuff and then you're gonna look at me who spent the last like 14 years or something wrestling people in a gym and go oh with so much reverence I'm yeah, like bullshit Ca- calm I, it down a what I bit. tell
0: people is that when you step <laughs> on the mat if you can get to gym your life is good that means your body works you have time the people in your life love you and support you enough for you to be there and you can afford it and you are enthusiastic and passionate about something if you can get to class life is good yes i don't care what the fuck's going on life Mm -hmm. is good if you made it to class if you got there
1: and find, find yourself an instructor who deserves respect, not one who demands it.
0: What's interesting about that is that the, like the childhood wounding that we talked about, like it can be taken in two directions. It's almost like the Sith versus the Jedi thing. It's mm-hmm. like you can go dark or light. Getting Jungian now.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: your childhood wounding can lead you to be a horrible, nasty, dark overlord, or it can teach you to be a compassionate, open
1: person who is getting better. To me, it, it boils down to... Uh, another quotation, since this is why kind of why you had me on here. But uh, Joseph Campbell said something in this one of, guy,
0: one of his This guy, listen to him. Nietzsche like Nietzsche, not Campbell.
1: Yeah, Campbell. Yeah, I know they're they're kind of homies, right? Um, they're homies yeah, for sure. Uh, but Joseph Campbell had this had this quote about um the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure that you seek. And if you look at a lot of old mythological tropes, you see a lot of things like dragons hoarding things that are useless to them, like gold and virgins and things yeah. like that but you have to face that to get to what you're you're trying to to get to yeah
0: and actually in jungian archetypal psychology slaying the dragon is a individuation story. It's about becoming a man. So St. George and the dragon, you know, he goes out and he slays the dragon. You become a full human at that point
1: because you faced your thing. Right. It called you into being.
0: Yeah. Do you have more stories of transformation?
1: I have a student now. am not going to mention his name, but he suffered from some pretty tremendous anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, he was also abused by a prior instructor, like pretty heavily. And okay. He fell victim to some of that pretty horrible abuse. And on top of it, just a general... A lack of confidence and anxiety mm-hmm. coming into tournaments he was one of those guys who'd be real good in the gym mm-hmm. but then he would he'd freeze up and, and, and when it came to the tournament okay. he couldn't handle that pressure and he didn't believe in himself and right. uh, through training and through more experience with competition but more importantly jiu can really help you and be a very great therapy for you but you know what else is great therapy therapy <laughs> 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 about seven months ago we started going to a therapist he was already having the mechanisms and work with jiu-jitsu to get better but man When he started finally talking about his issues and finally working through it with an actual therapist it helped him out tremendously and you can see it in every aspect of his life
0: do you feel that the jiu-jitsu got him into therapy somehow
1: i'm not sure how what his side of the story is but i know that i encouraged him to go to therapy and get that stuff checked out there was a situation about three years ago where i kind of had to shove a lot of stuff down I had a friend who, uh, who committed suicide who was one of my jiu-jitsu friends. Around the same time, um, my girlfriend's family kind of fell apart and I had to buckle down and I had to essentially slay the dragon. I had to call myself into being because I was kind of enjoying just being young and teaching jiu-jitsu. Right there was a moment that I had where I, I had to go to the DA's office with my girlfriend and uh, sitting in there thinking like her family's staying at my house, which is my mom's house at the time. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I don't have the capability of being there for these people. I can't provide them what they need. So I have to become the kind of person that can do that because it's very important to me. And so it was from that moment, I shoved a lot of stuff inside and I just got to my nose to the grindstone. I got a job with my buddy, Marty, uh-huh. and I was working regular full-time hours. And, and then I was teaching at night at my gym and I convinced the guy I was sharing the space with to return. Tire and give the space over to me, and so for about a year, I was working from like six in the morning until eleven o'clock at night every single day, training, teaching, and working, doing auto liens and registration, like really boring stuff. And at the end of that, I, f- I, you know, I have my place. I spent all this money making it nice. Now the business is mine. Mm-hmm. I'm becoming this person that I've always wanted to be, and then I started having really, really bad anxiety, and I didn't understand it because I'd never experienced it. I'd be driving my car, and I'd feel like I was going to hyperventilate, mm-hmm. and I'd have visions, like I was going to crash my car and horrible stuff was happening. And it became debilitating to the point where Mm -hmm. I didn't want to drive to work in the morning. I didn't want anything. And it turns out what really helped me, what really changed that I was talking with my friends and things. But one day I called uh, Kaiser who I was with at the time. And I spoke to a therapist on the phone for half an hour. And I got to say things in that half an hour session that I, one that I didn't realize that I was thinking like the situation was somebody in our lives was sociopath and a really terrible person who'd done some really horrendous things, I was having fear in my own back of my subconscious that that I was capable of those things too because I had trusted this person for a very long time. And at the end of this half an hour of me just spouting these weird paranoid conspiracy theories about how I'm probably the devil to this guy, he basically said to me, you know, I, I don't think that you are, because usually people who are the devil <laughs> like that aren't thinking that they are. They think they're doing the right thing and they, yeah. they're not being self-critical.
0: Yeah, the devil thinks he's God.
1: Yeah, it, literally just having that half an hour conversation. It was like a weight lifted off my chest.
0: That's awesome.
1: And the next time I drove, I had no anxiety. And I think since it's been about a year and a half since I had any panic attacks or anything. One conversation. One damn conversation. So what this
0: is about is I think the path of becoming a jiu-jitsu instructor and becoming a black belt is so intense that in order to get there, you're going to either end up really tweaked out and fucked up because you fucked up your body and you fucked up your mind and you're coming from a wounded place and you're a dark, you're a Sith, (laughs) or you've taken the light path. And if you've taken the light path, you've gone through so much that you don't just teach your students jujitsu, you teach them life. You teach them like, you know, Hey, go talk to someone. Everything that is a person comes out on the mat. I remember as a white belt, I was really overweight, not athletically gifted at all. And I was watching these guys, just these white belts going at it and just wrestling and banging it out and I was like, I turned to the purple belt. I said, I'm never gonna be like that. And he's like, Bro, don't even worry. Those guys are not gonna last. And they all dropped out, all got hurt, all got fucked up.
1: Alan Watts, I'll give you another name. But he had a quote that I remember from a long time ago that was nothing helps a plant grow like pruning it. Yeah. And that was something that always stuck with me. It's like if you don't prune the plant, then it's gonna grow in these awkward, weird places. Yeah. And eventually those branches will become real unhealthy and they'll cause rot and get all the way down to the yeah. core of the of the plant.
0: And you see the people that are assholes they get hurt and they yeah. drop out. If you become addicted to jujitsu, your personality will change. Even if you're already pretty well adjusted, you will be a different person and it will happen much faster than you than you think. <laughs> if you resist the pruning, you will something will break, you will leave, you will quit. Everything that is a person comes out on those mats. Yes. Every every attitude problem they have, if they're arrogant, they'll get checked in some kind of way you can't just be an arrogant prick against somebody who can really beat the fuck out of you. You just, it doesn't work, (laughs) you know? Um, In jujitsu, in schools, if the community is good, there's a drive towards health on every level that's undeniable. Like nobody smokes cigarettes, at least that I know of. They do smoke a bit of weed, but they don't take drugs. Some of them drink, but the ones that drink usually crumble and fall away. It's like, you don't do those things. If you do those things, get your ass beat.
1: I, I get called an old man a lot because people want to have a drink or something after class on a Friday night. And I'm like, no, I gotta go no man, I got to get up and train at tease in the morning. Like yeah. I'm sacrificing going out and partying or I'm sacrificing doing drugs or or drinking or something like that. It's literally that I don't want to eat this burrito right now because it's got too many carbs in it and yeah. I'm trying to make weight or I don't want to uh, have that drink because it's going to ruin my cardio for training in the morning. Yeah, yeah, It becomes an infrastructure that you can build things around. I wish
0: I could express the pure joy Of training to somebody. It's the same reason people get addicted to anything like surfing or skiing or whatever. I feel completely at peace and exhilarated. I feel close to people. I feel in control. I feel all of my anxiety and depression vanish. My old teacher, Mikio Regs he talked about when you'd step on the mat, the reason you bow is because you'd pour your cup out. So you pour out all your bullshit mm-hmm. before getting on the mat, you know, which I was kind of a neat little analogy. For sure. And the other
1: analogy with, with bowing is, uh, we usually do like a slap and a bump, whatever in jujitsu. But for me and the way that I teach it for kids, it's interesting to me because I'm building the building blocks of certain ethics. I want the kids to master as they get older. One thing uh, is consent about anything there has to be freedom to accept or reject a proposal when you bow to somebody before you roll with them Mm -hmm. you're saying i'm giving you permission right now Mm -hmm. with my bodily autonomy to try to wrestle me and choke me or whatever like that and then the second that i am not okay with it and i tap out or Mm -hmm. i say ah get off me whatever you have to let go Mm-hmm. and you have to respect my autonomy as a person. I think it's a very, very important lesson. Most people don't want their kids to fight. They don't want them to roughhouse or try to throw somebody at school or something like that. Right. But what they learn in class is how to do it safely. And they learn to not do it to anybody who hasn't given consent to it.
0: Yeah. So just so if people don't know, in a jiu-jitsu, when you are in a position where you can't escape, you're going to ch- get choked out, or your arm's going to break, you can tap the person and the fight has to end. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's, I never thought about that. that yeah. There's a control from both sides let's go back to the idea of big judo. I want to apply it to all martial arts. I think that martial arts in general are good for the culture. A pretty firm believer that if everybody did them, I'd be out of a job (laughs) as a therapist. I really kind of do believe that. I don't, I, I think they're that powerful.
1: Um, There's the individual. If you learn how to conquer your fear in the gym and learn Mm -hmm. how to conquer it in a tournament, you learn how to conquer fears in general. Like, man, I'm afraid of this job interview or I'm afraid of asking this girl out or Mm -hmm. whatever it is. And instead of becoming a recluse and letting those dragons grow to be real, real big and like take up too much space in your life, you learn that it's it's okay to get rejected. It's okay to not get a job that you were looking for. It's mm-hmm. okay to get thrown when you were trying to throw someone in Judo. And it's okay to get submitted when you get submitted in Jiu Jitsu, because that's what's gonna happen. There's nobody who makes it from white to black belt without getting submitted. I've rolled with literally the best grappler in Nogi Jiu Jitsu on the planet, Gordon Ryan. And when I rolled with him, he wasn't trying to beat me at every single turn. He mm-hmm. wasn't trying to dominate me and show me how good he was and mm-hmm. get his ego involved. He's literally just watching my game he'd let me put him in positions where I had no right putting somebody that good in that position and he'd actually tap. But Mm -hmm. then he would do a little calculation and he'd come back and then he'd try like 25% harder and then it didn't work. And he'd come back and try four and a half percent harder. And then he beat me and he'd go, ah, mental note. It only takes 62.1% to get out of your triangle. Mm -hmm. The best guys are not afraid to tap. You start to seek that out as a kind of deep practice. Mm -hmm. Seek out where your failure is so Mm -hmm. that you can learn from it. If you take every single personal disappointment as a tragedy and then make that as part of your identity, like my girlfriend broke up with me and she loved me when I was 17, am I gonna be worried about that now? It's Mm -hmm. like, no, I learned a lesson from it and I moved on. And then the Mm -hmm. next girl, same thing, next girl. And now I'm in a fantastic relationship, but it's because I had those failures in the past that I became what I am now.
0: What do you see doing for the community as a whole?
1: My assistant instructor anthony at my gym he's 21 years old it's a fantastic job and it's all because he did a great job teaching the kids in my place the parents all got to know him and a mm-hmm. lot of them worked for a, a real big tech company and eventually they're like of course we'll hire this guy because he's awesome mm-hmm. like we know how he is we know he's responsible we know all that stuff kids making probably five times what i make. he's making good money Retirement benefits, all sorts of stuff at 21. And it's all because he has value within our community and our community has resources and we kind of pool everything together that way. Uh, so there's that kind of thing. I've had people who wanted to be recluses into their depression. I've had two cases come up with this. One is when someone's getting depressed and they have some mental health issues, but coming back and having people call up and be like, hey, man, you want to come to training tonight? I'll give you a ride, that sort of mm-hmm. thing. It keeps people doing something positive. And we know about serotonin. It's like active pursuit of a long term goal will get you a lot more serotonin and then just, hey, I'm going to take some drugs or something. It becomes an unsustainable method of getting your brain in the right state, right? So you have people who are constantly like friends with you, not nagging you, but like you want to go see them and you want to go train because it's going to give you that positive endorphins, that fun, everything to get you out of the house when otherwise you would have stayed inside. It helps you conquer some of that anxiety and that depression. However, there was one situation I wanted to ask you about on it. This may not be about big jujitsu, but my friend who committed suicide, jujitsu and judo were a big thing for him for a long time. When was this? 2016 sorry to hear that yeah he was a great great guy but we did a little thing for him because I knew that he was going through a hard time and he was going through a breakup and he was blind and had MS and all sorts of health problems and stuff I talked to him about a week before he killed himself we had gone to his house to buy his kettlebells from him and we gave him extra money because we knew he was having trouble moving and stuff and he was mm-hmm. selling all this stuff so we tried to pool together some money as a community to help him out and we get him this extra money and we get the kettlebells for the gym. It was a great exchange, but I tried to get him to come back. I was like, hey man, why don't you come train? You know, I know you're going through some stuff. You want to come train? And he said something to me, which was sometimes when you feel bad to a certain point, like you just, you can't engage with things like that. I think he was meaning like he didn't want to come to jujitsu and get beat up or something because he just couldn't take it. And there was a certain point where I understood that it's like therapy is essential for someone who has serious, serious mental health issues. Yeah, Jitsu can be a scaffolding that can get you on the right path and pull you out of things but it's not enough in certain situations if you're telling a friend who mm-hmm. and warning to people like that in jujitsu, it's like if you have a friend who was training and now you know they're going through a hard time and they're real depressed and things like that you try to get them to come train mm-hmm. and they're adamantly opposed to it that sort mm-hmm. of thing i don't really know what the procedure would be to to help that person out but it, it's definitely a sign when they, they don't want to do the thing that makes them
0: yeah so you're asking me what should you have
1: done in that situation yeah there n-
0: well first you gotta know there's nothing you could have done that's the, that there's, there's research studies to back that up. Your, your influence is threadbare. It's just not that strong. A lot of times people who decide to harm themselves or kill themselves uh, decide it in advance and they plan it out. You know, they usually keep it a secret if someone does change a lot of their habits and starts to isolate, yeah, those are warning signs, but they're not it's not enough of a warning sign. If you want to assess for suicidality, you have to do what's called a suicide assessment, which you assess for intent to harm themselves, plan like how they're going to do it, and the means to do it. Say, I'm going to shoot myself in the head. Do you have a gun? Well, no. Okay, less of a problem. Well, I'm going to go jump off the Golden Gate Bridge. Well, do you live in San Francisco? Well, yeah, I live in the marina. As a matter of fact, I'm going to Hey, yeah. I'm gonna Is walk it a up five there, minute walk. And that's a problem. And there's all these procedures you can do, like healthcare, you can do welfare checks, you can call the police, you can there's there's things you can do, but that was so out of range for you. Yeah. Let me put it this way, that had nothing to do with you. That suicide was not your business, realm, anything that was his path and his alone. I mean, I would recommend for someone like that, the only thing you can do is recommend therapy, recommend they see a psychiatrist. A medication is much more vigorous. They can sometimes need inpatient treatment, but they can put them check themselves into a hospital or a, or a rehab facility for mental health. Those types of things, but it's so beyond your powers. I wish I could think of an analogy. I, it's like it's like thinking you can influence an election, a very large election. Like a statewide election. And I don't mean to be funny, but it's like, it's that, it's like you have one vote, you have one voice and one voice can mean a lot and you can say what you need to say and there's good things that one can say, but no way, man, no way, not even.
1: Mm -mm. I went to Brazil for the first time right after this had happened. He had my tickets all planned, all this stuff. And then like two weeks later, I'm in Brazil and he had killed himself. And I just found out yeah. literally like when I was getting on the plane to go and it was like, huh, and like you have this stuff built in the back of your unconscious and yeah. you don't know how to process it. For four days, I woke up having dreams and then just like wake up with tears streaming down my face. And I'm like,
0: yeah, Ouch. wow,
1: I actually wasn't, it was sad, but it was kind of, um, it was almost beautiful tears in a sense. Like I did appreciate the time that I had with the person. Yeah. Are. And
0: what's it like to talk about it right now?
1: Well, I appreciate the free therapy. So <laughs> <What's that>? <laughs> Technically you're
0: <laughs> not my client, but you know, yeah. here's another example of health. Like here you are talking mm-hmm. to me about this incident. And I'm giving you, I think, pretty solid feedback on suicidality and in yeah. your involvement in it and all that. And here we are doing a little bit of mental health stuff because of jujitsu, because of our common goal, which is this martial art, which is getting on this mat and doing these things. The power of martial arts, you said it much earlier with the big judo thing, is community. It's community, community, community. We do not have that in our civilization. It is falling apart. It's the reason marriage is falling apart. It's the reason everyone is angry at each other. All the acrimony you see out there, Is based on a lack of connectivity, a lack of, you know, I work with substance abuse a lot, alcoholism. They say that addiction is the opposite of connection. It's true. And people that go to AA meetings and get into that community, they tend to do really, really well if they really stick to it. And it's not because of the steps necessarily. I mean, the steps are really, really important, but it's the, it's being around people Mm. and talking to people. Infrastructure. Yeah. And connection and opening your mouth and speaking. You know, that guy that you know, died or committed suicide. I imagine he he sounded isolated to me.
1: He was isolated. Yeah.
0: And and that's so sad because in a culture that really, really values community, that would have been harder for him to do, but that's not anybody's fault. That's just where our culture is going. And I feel like martial arts, particularly martial arts, take that in
1: the opposite direction. For sure. We have a community that is always working towards being healthier, accomplishing long-term goals together. Mm -hmm. So we're, you know, jacking our serotonin systems in the right direction. Yeah. And at the same time, it's like you have a support system. I tell you, man, you cannot worry about your boss being passive aggressive with you mm-hmm. while man is on top of you trying to choke you. It's like, <laughs> you're not going to be like, oh man, I should move my chair at work so I don't have to talk to that, that a-hole yeah. who's next to me, whatever like that. Yeah. You're just sitting here going, all that exists in the world, it's kind of a kind of psychotic meditation. It's yeah. like all that exists in the world is this hand and I have to make sure the other hand doesn't get in my collar too because I'm going to get choked.
0: I don't know if you've been at church, but they do these things in churches sometimes where they make you like shake the hand of the person next to you. Mm-hmm. But in jujitsu, that happens organically everybody is just you walk in and they're smiling they're happy to see you they make eye contact we i mean we covered the mental the, the physical health thing you know can't do drugs you gotta get enough sleep you gotta have enough water you gotta mm-hmm. eat right you gotta you gotta have a good structured life you you're, you're kind to people people are kind to you if you're a prick, you get hurt and you leave or you learn your lesson and you come back and you're less of a prick. It's just amazing the level of health that comes out of that shit. It's extraordinary. I mean, when people
1: talk about, I I have been to church, I'm not a, I I didn't grow up in a religious house, but you notice like what people talk about at church once the sermon is over or whatever, Uh first off they compare clothes with each other. It's like, what kind of gear are you wearing? Oh, I like this gear. Right. Cool. And then they, uh, they talk about their life and they talk about their family and they talk about their, uh, their jobs and all that sort of stuff really it's like you is the party we all learn a bunch of cool stuff and then we roll with each other and we we have fun we get our endorphins up we get our exercise yeah and then at the end you're just hanging out and shooting the shit with people and learning this about that person and talking trash between each other and having fun making jokes that's the community i have at my gym yeah, yeah. if you go to a gym and it's really clicky where there's like eight different clicks of people i would yeah. say leave that gym immediately yeah like go to a place where it seems like everyone's accepted everyone's kind of cool with each other and mm-hmm. you can strike up a conversation and say hi to each other it's actually a rule at my gym it's like somebody new comes in and Everybody say hi to him. It's good. Get to know him.
0: It's beautiful and we're just, I think we're, we're repeating ourselves a lot at this point, but I think we've proven our point, Mike. Yeah. Jiu-jitsu is good. 100%. F- for the world. <laughs> um, is there anything you want to add before we close?
1: Shout out to all my students. I'll say this to the end of time. People will give me respect as an instructor and all that stuff. But every single one of my students has something that teaches me. And I've learned from their life experiences and from their expertise. Ultimately, we're a community. I'm, I'm teaching, but I'm not the head of anything. It's a beautiful community. And, and I'm happy that I have people in my life who allow me to be an instructor and allow me to do what I do because without them, I'd just be some crazy guy standing on the corner talking about how to choke somebody correctly.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And I will say I have taken uh, many classes from Mike and he's an incredible instructor. He's very centered and I always walk away from his classes feeling like my jiu-jitsu is better, but also feeling like I've learned something I can't quite define. Uh, which is why you're sitting in that
1: chair, sir. <laughs> I, I, tend to, I tend to go way too many details until you feel that way. So that's... <laughs> I like it.
0: Listen, I really appreciate your time. This has been a fantastic conversation and I hope to have more.
1: Yeah, 100%. I'm happy to come on here. Uh, you guys can catch me on Instagram, CaveMikeBJJ. I teach at uh, Ralph Gracie San Francisco and uh, The Cave in Pacifica. So uh, uh, hit me up if you guys want to learn some jiu-jitsu. All
0: right. Okay. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks, Ben. Thank you for listening. As always pertinent information stemming from this podcast, including links and other resources are available in the episode notes. Should you have any questions, feedback, or wish to be a guest on my podcast, I can be reached at benjaminrusick at gmail.com. That's b-e-n-j-a-m-i-m-r-u-s-s-a-c-k at gmail.com. You can also reach me by visiting my website at benjaminrusick.com. I also encourage you to subscribe, like, leave comments, and all the rest. Thanks again and remember, if your plate is full, sometimes you need to scrape a few things off to the side and sometimes you just need a bigger plate.